G'day everybody, welcome to Step Outside, the podcast made just for you guys. We come live, well we're not live, we're actually recording live, but yes we are recording live. Hey, today I've got a really good guy that I wanted to introduce you guys to. His name is Peter Johnston and that is not without a T in Johnston, a fantastic fellow. Now this bloke, he is more commonly known as PJ, affectionately known. His extensive fishing background, having been a commercial trap and line fisher for decade as well as an avid comp fisher pj is a past president of the new south wales fishing clubs association and has several state and triple a championships as well as numerous club and district championships to his name now for the past 28 years he's been co-host of high tide a radio fishing show on the 2SM network out of Sydney and a regular presenter at the Sydney International Boat Show and also is the proud ambassador for Alvi Reels. We're going to give PJ a buzz now and hopefully he can pick up and we'll be able to uh, get in contact with him and see exactly what is going on. Phone is ringing. This is going to be recorded live on air. PJ. Are G'day, you... Paul. G'day, mate. How are you, buddy? Going really well, thank Mate, thank you for joining us. You're on our uh, Step Outside podcast. I'm up on the Gold Coast. You are in the fabulous city of Sydney. That I am, mate. That I am. How is it down there, mate? Well, the weather's cleared. It's yep. still a little bit overcast, but we've got patches of sunshine, but the rain seems to have gone for a while. Oh, mate, look, it's, uh, you know, I know you do get uh, weather that's up and down down there, but it also does uh, accumulate to some pretty severe storm activity across Sydney as well, particularly when those troughs and fronts move through. Yeah, well, the trough that we've just experienced the last couple of days hasn't exactly been real uh, a real storm front as such, but a couple of weeks ago we had some crackers. Um, just looking at the rain radar now, we've really got nothing now. It's all pushing to the... Um, east northeast now because um, as that trough expands up your way you'll probably get bad weather today and tomorrow um, yeah we've got more more weather coming in on the back of it but at the moment it's pretty good mate mate um, we introduced you before before the uh, phone rang there about a bit of your background uh, Pete thanks for your time firstly mate but um, tell me about commercial trap and line fishing for a decade now as a charter operator skipper uh, over you know a few times i've got into it then i got out of it then i got back into it don't know why then i got out of it but uh mate it really does play a major part of your life when it comes to being in rough oceans wild atrocious weather as a commercial trap line fisherman going out there when you know you had to pull your traps mate tell me about some of the experiences you've had in that situation of where you don't want to go but you knew you just had to get out there to get your to get your gear oh paul i I lost count of the times that i've gone out when i probably shouldn't have and now as a recreational angler i don't go it's that simple um like at one at one stage of our career we had a 41 foot stabber um, wheelhouse um trap boat and we were in some really bad south southwest weather came in pretty heavy we were out at a spot out here off sydney 20 odd mile up the coast called brown's mountain it's where we uh, used drop lines to catch blue-eyed cod and gemfish yeah um now as you know a 41 foot step is a fairly decent lump of a boat that weighed 99 ton in it with the Volvo diesel, and we were taking them over to Wheelhouse. 
That's a yeah. That's a that's a pretty wild ocean. Yeah, it's a pretty wild ocean, and there's been other times there when I was in um, I was in my 21 foot clark. Um, you'd get black nor'easters here, and um, you having been on the Gold Coast for a long time would know what a black nor'easter is like. Mm. It's uh, the barometer drops, a storm comes in from the nor'east, but it's a really good time for fishing for mulloway, and uh, we. we Gone and got a tank full of live bait. Went out and fished on one of our uh, our dewy reefs, as we call them, 121 foot of water. And I had uh, double rubber um, uppers on my ankle line. The boat was going up and down, smashing down into the troughs and waves would break on the full peak of the boat. Um, while these mulloway just had their bite for mm. an hour. And you pulled a and few? It was, sorry? You pulled a few? Yeah, we pulled a few and got out of there pretty quick <laughs> because the, the black nor'easter, as you know, it generally comes after you've had a, a terrific day, you 36 to 38, sometimes 40 degree days, and then the barometer drops, storm yeah. trump comes in from the nor'east, yeah. and bang, and now the hour that the barometer comes from, say, 1,026 to 1,028, and it drops down to... Um, you know, a thousand ten. Yeah. Bang! The pressures off their swim bladder—they go on the feed really quick because they sense there's a, a turbulent weather pattern coming. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty mad bite. But yeah, when I sit back and look at the number of times I've done that, I think my neck's about two inches shorter now from pounding those <laughs> north windy days. But um, yeah, the other frustrating part—people think you put a fish trap out, it's going to be easy to catch fish. You put your traps out today, freshly baited up current of the reef, the current changes overnight and finds your gears all on the wrong side of the reef. Mate, that, that, that's a major problem as well and just showcases the, um, the ferocity of the ocean and, and how it can move gear, which weighs a fair weight. How, how heavy is a general trap and does do they move a lot in current? I mean, we often get that East Coast current, you know, at times two, three, four knots. Is, is that, yep. is that a, enough to move a trap that weighs... How many kilos, PJ? Well, it, it all depends on, on the construction of the trap. Now, when I did my, my um, inshore snapper trap, so I generally made them out of, um, out, out of hardwood frames and then, the, um, and then the, the, the wire that we used to do that. Um, they would still weigh around about 80 kilos, and then oh, wow. I would put a brick in each corner. So they, depending on the size headgear or, or what, what, what we call headgear, but it's actually the... Um, that the foam floats that you use, you would um, normally sit them out there to handle a bit of current and, and your rope, you'd have your black rope or your scope there, a third extra rope than the depth of the water you're using. Yeah. But if you had a big sea come up and you had too big a, too big a float or headgear on it, you would um, you'd find they would walk and sometimes walk a kilometre or two until they got sure to the well. next sort of shallower area. Wow, all hooked up on the reef. Have you ever had a trap hook up on a bommy or a reef, and you, you know, your, your boat's listed, or you've, you know, you've lost the the rope or the trap oh, or anything like that? When, when I was in close lobster trapping, um, that's when we used to get it in the um, August, September, October times when when the lobsters come up from over the shelf and they walk into the mouths of the estuary and the rocky headlands to put their eggs on the kelp beds. Yeah. Many a time, I've had to uh, grab the the trap rope tie it around the bow cleat and then drive off and have the rope running down the back of the boat and quite often you pull around because I've seen people, when they get their anchors stuck, try and pull off the stern cleat. Yeah. And they go okay till the stretch of the rope's gone and next thing it slingshots them back mm. 
and it's pulled their um, transom underwater. Next thing, the boat sunk. So I've always pulled off the off the bow of the boat and drive off, same as when I recover anchor. See, that's a, that's a key tip for for a lot of people out there who are in the boating fraternity. Um, you know, when you're, you're talking about anchoring up, and that is exactly right. If you tie off the anchor to the back cleat of the boat as you go to drive away, even if you are driving it or reversing it off, for heaven's sakes, you don't do that, is that, um, you know, you can pull the back stern down on that angle. That's the same as a trawl if they get hooked up, is they'll generally list to the port of starboard and it's enough because they're running cable, it's enough to pull it down and just enough for the swell to come over and encroach into the boat. Uh, What what, what I tend to do there, Paul, is um, I have the rope, uh, the anchor rope come up over my my bow bollard and I've got cam cleats just uh, next to my helm. You've been in my boat, so you know the setup I've got, and then I've got um, my um, left and right side cleats that I tie off on. Um, So I'll pull the anchor whilst driving ahead, and I've only got about a five-degree angle off the bow. Yeah. And I can still, with one hand, hold the wheel or the helm of the boat, and with my right hand, I'll feel the anchor. And you can feel the anchor start to give. And then it's just a little bit more application of throttle, and because I've got a float buoy um, on a ring on my anchor line, I keep driving. Once the anchor's released, I I, I can feel the chain. And when the chain hits the float boy ring, you'll just feel it um, knock a couple of times till it hits the stock of the anchor. Mm. And then you turn around and you're retrieving slack rope. You don't have to pull in the weight of the anchor and the the chain. But uh, the main thing is you you have that five-degree angle because why that angle is important is if it doesn't come off the bottom, you'll feel the boat start to tighten and then it will automatically pull the bow of the boat around. So you don't think that you've got to back the power off as soon as you feel the nose come around. Mate, um, I mean, there's some great tips there for people who are wanting to anchor up. And if they're a little bit hesitant about anchoring up on a reef, and even if there is some swell pushing through, as to how to properly do it. And that's a great tip there, mate, is always go off the bow. And you've got to think about it. If you drop your anchor down, is don't just throw it over the over the bow and just let it hit the deck and, and hope for the best, because you are trying to get onto that bunch of fish schooling up around a pinnacle or a bit of gravel or whatever, is to keep the bow of the boat into the wind. That, that's an important part of the whole process. And, and then hold the rope in your hand out the side of your vessel if you can or have someone at the bow. And as soon as you feel that little bit of a grab, isn't that right, Pete? Like every now and then you just feel that bite of the anchor hitting a bit of rock, let out some rope and, yeah, and try and get it Yeah, flap rope. Yep. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I've seen people drop it and tie off and they don't have enough angle for the anchor to bite in. Now, with reef picks, you can use a four-pronger. Some people use five prongs. Some people use the um, the Malulaba pick, which is just four four blades on the on the, the pipe stock. You know, mm. um, they're, they're they're quite a good anchor up in uh, really reefy areas like you guys have off the sunny coast and and further up. Um, Malulaba picks don't tend to get used down here in the Sydney region, although I did use one on the, on my 21-footer there for a long time. But um, nowadays, I just use a, a reef pick that's made out of 12-mil bar uh, that's for the prongs. And you keep your prongs short. Don't make them long because if they're long, they're springy and they actually won't bite in. They might be easier to straighten if you do get jammed, but they're a lot harder to bite in and they will um, they will bounce and drag. Mate, um, how much rope should you take out onto your vessel 
with you if you're going out to say you're fishing 50 fathoms of water which is around 300 feet okay mm -hmm. so six feet to a fathom obviously so mate if we're talking 300 feet of water how much rope should you let out in 300 feet of water well i've got i've got 500 meters of uh silver rope in my boat yep. that's just when i bought it in that size yeah but normally for every foot of water you want 18 inches of rope What's that, a foot right, and a half? So, so for every 12 inches, yeah, so you halve it again because it's what you call your scope. Um, depending on current, of course, and, and wind, sometimes too much rope's a problem, but yeah, where you're anchoring determines how much rope out too because sometimes the, the reef will go from the sand to the um, firmer substrate before you get into the hard reef. So you might need a, a lot more rope out in only 100 foot of water than what you actually might need in 150 foot of water because you may have to reach back a lot. Um, right. I very rarely anchor up in, 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 in water over 50 fathoms. Mm. Very rarely do I anchor in 50 fathoms of water now because mm. most of the fishing here in Sydney is inshore, yep. close fishing, but I still regularly anchor in um, 200 foot of water. Yep. Yep. Mate, when you are fishing in shallow grounds, and there's a lot of people out there, I mean, the, the marine industry during this pandemic that's going on, I mean, thank goodness we're not over in the uh, the European states or America, but, mate, here in Australia, the marine industry and travel industry within the country itself, caravanning, motoring and boating, is through the roof. So there's a lot of new people out there in that boating fraternity who have bought their first four metre, five metre, six metre, and, of course, larger boats, who really wanted to understand is where the fish are because if you're talking sydney you're talking off you know port phillip bay or maybe anywhere really or even the gold coast is that i'll use the gold coast as an example we've got more than two hundred and seventy thousand registered boats within a 100 kilometer radius therefore mm. if you look mm. at that it's the highest amount of registered boats per capita in the southern hemisphere and then people say how the hell do i catch a fish now, Pete, coming from a major city being Sydney and us with a major boating fraternity up here, you catch a lot of fishing close, but you have to change your way. The old days of going out there with a sugar bag, obviously I'm talking old school, uh, and, and filling the creel with, uh, with a heap of, uh, of uh, luteric or, or, or jewfish or snapper uh, and using, you know, heavy gear uh, is sort of gone the fish are still there, but we have to change our way. Mate, tell me about yeah, changing yeah. the way. What's the go? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I should be careful what I say, you young fella, because I, <laughs> I resemble some of those comments uh, about the gear you used to PJ, use. You came up with a saying, it's the alvey reel that fills the creel. It fills the creel. <laughs> <laughs> I love my alvies. Yeah, I love my alvies. So I've been using them ever since I was five. So I've been, you know, 50 yeah. years of use. The um, the, the thing with fishing, um, and look, Paul, I don't care whether you be off the sunny coast or there out at the nine mile out off the Tweed or down off Woolai or in, in Port Lincoln in South Australia. Fish need two things. They need food and they need shelter. Correct. So once you find the, the, the shelter... Mm. Okay, whether that be a reef or a bridge pylon or oyster leaf or the eddy of a point, right? You got to work out what 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 the food source is. Mm. So once, oh, how would you say? Once you know what's there, 
Um, the fish aren't as plentiful as the old days when you used to go out with a pound lead and catch snapper just outside Sydney Heads all the time and fill a sugar bag. Yeah. Um, our most common practice now of catching snapper has changed in the last 10 years again with the advent of um, lead jig heads and soft plastics now. So a lot of people are just slow drifting on spot lock with their electric outboards. I'm still an old anchor up man and and fish a burly trail with lightly weighted baits and and the soft plastics. But what I tend to do is the shelter is the reef. So the reef, if you imagine looking out, out of your window at land and you'll see... Uh, hills, you'll see bluffs, you'll see um, valleys. Imagine that being the ocean bottom and the wind is the current. So when the current hits a reef, it will have a leeward side. So the fish will be sitting in the leeward side out of the current most of the time waiting for the, the food to come to them, whether it be bait fish running along the edge of a reef drop off. Yep. Or whether there's current hitting the, 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 the front end of the structure and stirring up the sand substrate and food coming at that. And that is how a fish trap would work. You would put your fish trap up current of the reef with your striped tuna tied to the bottom in your bag of chicken gut and or cuttlefish, and the scent would come down with the small particles of the tuna down the side of the reef to draw the, the snapper in the Mowong and Trevally in the Brimmer. So when you're line fishing... You want to anchor upstream of that current and and fish down that outer edge normally. Not up on the high, but down that outer edge. Because up on the high, you tend to be your sweep, um, your maydays, a lot of the other uh, well, rubbish fish, what people call them, but um, nowadays more and more people are targeting <laughs> sweep. Cause that's I saw the, the old tra- the trag jew, traglin jew. Trag, is... trag jew will be sitting very firmly down the bottom mm. On, on the pectoral thing, just about along that um, reef drop-off on mm. the very bottom of it. Mm. So, and and that's, that's, so that's how I go about finding a good quality sounder. Okay, now, I, I, when I do my What are you running, talk, Pete? What have you, what have you got on your Sea Devil? I'm going to give you a shout-out for your Sea Devil. Mate, she's a, a fantastic rig. And what, what electronics do you run on her? Well, at the moment, I'm running a, a low rent, and I've run low rent for a lot of years. I've never been let down by a low rent. The, um, I've got a LCX27 colour sounder with yep. a 9-inch screen. Yep. With that sounder, you very rarely, and, and people that's been on the boat know I fiddle with it. Too many people go and buy a good sounder and just leave it in auto mode. Yep. You're not getting the best out of out, out of the uh, technology that you've bought. I always change mine around. So what I do is, depending, the water can change in in um, density. So your sensitivity has to change. So in shallow water, you might pull your sensitivity up a bit because you get too much feedback. Um, you could have uh, thermoclines in the water. If you change your sensitivity, it'll help you get a better sounder reading. And I always enlarge my bottom. Yeah. So I might put a two or four time zoom on because if I'm anchoring to fish for snapper or I'm going to fish a, a mulloway ledge, I don't really need to see what's on top. I know what's on top, but I know where the fish will be hanging. They'll be hanging down the bottom of the ledges. The snapper will be floating mid, mid um, up the bluff yeah. of the, the reef. Burley will draw them to you later. But to, to find what I'm looking at is I look at the bottom and I look for the contours. And then when you see the concentration of fish uh, behind a high spot, that generally tells you that's the leeward side of the current. So you know to go and anchor up current. Mm. And, and you won't 
necessarily pick up that detail if you don't take it out of auto mode. And, and that's an important part of it. And, I, and a lot of people do that. They buy this. And the sounders are so uniquely set up these days, ready to rock and roll straight out of the box you plug and play. Therefore, it is foolproof. But if you... So you're saying go into the menu. And the beauty of YouTube these days is you can jump on and, and someone can show you if you want that tutorial. But at the same time, you, you're breaking your sounder down and it actually becomes a more... Uh, highly involved weapon for you to go and catch fish, isn't it, really? In the old days when people used to just have a bit of cutty honk uh, line and a, and a lead weight on the bottom uh, to take their depth sounding, right, not every fathom to tell the depth. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, you've got now the most important tool in your arsenal because if you want to go and spend a huge amount of money on fishing gear, which is quite easy to do, you know, you want to go and buy yourself a, a, a 20,000 size spinning reel, you're going to be talking big coins. Yeah. You want to be able to put yourself in the position to get the most of that. Now, if you buy a $2,000 uh, bit of marine electronics to help you find the fish and also um, your, your GPS location, you might as well learn how to use it because otherwise it's yeah. just wasted. Yeah, that's so true. So true. We target banana prawns up here, and I've got um, obviously a, a, a Garmin on that, which is a, it's a seven-inch uh, touchscreen. And with our banana prawns, you need you got to think about it. You're finding prawns in uh, from you know ten feet of water down to sixty feet of water. And in Queensland, you've got a good definition on your screen to be able to do you've that. You've got to find. You've got to have definition, but you also need to, to work out the difference between a herring and a prawn. Or a school uh, yeah. of small Jew and a prawn. Or a school mm. of catfish and a prawn. Because you don't want to catch those other bycatchers. You are there to target prawns. And when you cast a cast net, in Queensland we can have those, is that when you cast the net that has... Yeah, why is that? Why is that? Why should you I guys have all the fun the getting your banana prawns? I think it's to do with the crocodiles, Pete. We've got crocodiles in Queensland. And there's a good chance that one of those puppies could be moving further south because of climate change, right? So, you know, you guys are safe for another 20 years. I'm going to give you 20 years before you have a, you know introduction of... of of crocodiles and cast nets. But look, mate, when you find out and you get your bottom uh, mode sorted out and you you know you, you lift your gain a bit and go to bottom lock, you'll actually see the difference of the prawns. They look like little speckles across the bottom. They'll come up about five mil thick on the bottom of your, of your sounder and you know that's your prawn. Have a cast, you'll feel them, they crunch up. But it's working out the sounder. That's the same deal for snapper, for jewfish, kingfish, pearl perch, etc depending on the dips, depths you go. Mate, um, tell me about your AAA champion, championships. That's led you to become, uh, obviously, you know, uh, president of the New South Wales Fishing Clubs Association. You've got plenty of uh, state records in that. Mate, has the fishing changed a lot since the days when we could go out there and target a lot of different species? Well, we're going back 30 years, back, back when I was the president of the New South Wales Fishing Clubs Association, and... I think I think the last AAA championship was 1996 in Geraldton was the last one I fished. So that's when I basically stopped fishing the Australian championships. But uh, without a doubt, the fishing's changed. Um, mm. I wouldn't say the fisher got smarter. I'd just say that because they're not as plentiful, that we have to work harder for them. Mm. Um, and, you know, some stocks 
have have been hammered, and other stocks haven't really. Like Brimen, Brimen and Ludwig stocks haven't changed. The biomasses haven't changed at all here in New South Wales or or Southern Queensland. That um, scientists can tell. But even though even you though, though you guys even though Sorry? you guys have uh, river traps for Brim, the stocks yep. are still plentiful. Yeah, and they're still um they're still estuary meshing. Haul nets done off the beaches and that They're, the stocks just don't get hammered. Um, mm. they, they haven't seen a, a, a decline. We have reduced bag limits, like our brim have gone from twenty to ten. Our Ludwig have gone from twenty to ten. But I think what what's getting now is, and and we we could dive into another line later on. But bag limits and legal sizes most um, most effective management tool of any fishery. Correct. And then couple that with closures because for 20 years we we're out there putting the floaters out catching our seven and eight kilo snapper and you know we'd sit there yeah, great catch of fish hang on every time we go to those fish they're full of full, full of milk sacks and full of eggs hang on Pete what you're actually doing is you're targeting the spawning migration if I keep doing that mm. I won't have the fish in the store so we stop targeting the spawning run yeah and this is why you'll have closures and Queensland have closures seasons on uh, certain species. New South Wales is starting to... Uh, we've done it with our freshwater species um, and our Australian bass. Uh, Victoria and South Australia have the closures on their snapper season. So mm. we're starting now to get in with the closed seasons and the um, introduction of slot sizes to protect your breeders and our bag limits and legal sizes. We're well equipped for the future. Mate, do you believe that, uh, obviously, there's been a lot of marine park closures up and down the coast. Do you think they should be shifted from time to time, two years closed, two years open, and then close another spot off to, to allow fish to migrate and become a little bit more plentiful in those areas? Uh, so you do want you to think... start an argument? No, I'll ask you the question, mate. I, I'm, I'm happy. There's 800 kilometres between us, mate, so there's no fists and cuffs going on, but I'll have to ask you the question as well. Is uh, When we're talking bag limits and size limits, do you think increase the size limit and lower the bag limit? Does that suffice for someone who's just spent $100,000 on a boat and $50,000 on fishing gear? If the proper science supports it, I'm all for it. But unfortunately, we've been we've been thrust into the day of lazy management to appease um, green groups and ecological groups with lines on the map. Fish don't recognise lines on the map, Paul. You know that. Of course. All right. So fish recognise food and spawning patterns. Yep. So by managing fish, by just saying you can't fish west of this line or you can't fish east of that line, the fish don't know that. I'm talking about marine reserves and what these green groups like to use is a term of reference called spillover effect. So if we protect the fish in this area, the fish will then become more abundant and you'll have spillover and the fish will go in a further area. Been a marine park up in Maitland Bay, Budai Nature Reserve, it's been a marine park for 30 years. 35, 36 years, and the fishing has not improved either side of it. It's one of those places that there's not a lot of structure to hold the fish. goes back to my earlier comment, fish need two things, food and structure. If it's not there, it's not going to hold them. So let's forget about the um, the, the fake science of, of marine and concentrate on our sizes, our bag limits, our seasonal closures. That is far more effective. University studies, um, the University of British Columbia and uh, one of the Tasmanians, uh, University of Tasmania, um, they've come out and said, look, you've got the best management tools, you've got bag limits, you've got slot sizes, 
you've got closed seasons. So I'm happy to run with that. I'm happy to have an argument with likewise too. Yeah, mate. No, look, I totally agree with you at the same at the same time because you know it is we are need to or we do need to understand that this is our future for fishing and keep stocks up there so our kids and their kids and their kids can continue to do what we love to do right now and that is stepping outside and enjoying, uh, you know, the, yeah. the fruits of nature and that is catching fish, well, bringing them home. Up, you, you brought up the question about back in my AAA days and New South Wales yeah. FCA days. Um, we used to have a point that was one point per fish, ten point per kilos, and you know it encouraged you to go out and catch fish on masses. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if you've travelled from Sydney to Geraldton, say, what are you going to do with twenty kilos of tailor three, three days out of out of your trip over there, and then you go offshore and you've got all these herring? What are you going to do with those? What are you going to do with the salmon? You know. Mm. So, in my home division of the Sydney North Division and New South Wales Fishing Club, mm. we we could see where we were heading with our comps and. You'd see where people had had eight boxes of tarla before bag limits from an estuary comp overnight, yeah. and they'd be they'd be found wasted on a tip somewhere. Yeah. That turned that turned me. I just said no, no more of this. I said you sit there and have a go at commercial fishery. What you're doing is actually wasting a resource. So uh, we developed the bonus point system, Paul. Yeah. So um, uh, sand white were worth twenty two points a kilo. Brim was seventeen. Flathead were eleven points. Snapper was seventeen. And, and and so depending on the angling skill needed was the points per kilo. And then we got bonus points. So if you've got two species, you've got given five bonus points. If you've got three species, you've got ten and so on. So if you managed to go out and got 15 species, you had a bonus of 525 points. Yeah, wow. Yeah. All right, so 11 yeah. points a kilo. Yep. That's, that's 10.5 kilos worth of um, blackfish or something like that. Yeah, that's right. You've got to get 50 kilos so, to get that 500 points, where if you catch 15 different species, you, you're inst- instantly up there and you've probably, you know, the fish could be anywhere from a, you know, half a kilo to a kilo in weight size. Now, exactly right. Now, let's go one step further. Mm. Think of the skills. You think of 15 species, mm-hmm. estuary species, mm-hmm. and think of the skills needed to go from catching a brim to a whiting to a flathead to a leather jacket to a mullet, to garfish, to luteric, yep. and then start chasing a few other estuarine species. It's the Matty Hayden of cricket, mate. It's an all-rounder. I love it. All-rounder, yep. yep. And and, it, and this, is, this is why now I always have a plan at B in my boat, so to speak. Because mate. we go fishing, and you, you were talking there earlier about all these people are now buying boats because of COVID. Yeah. We now know that there's in New South Wales alone, 40% increase in new boating licences. Mm. Um, there's str- struggles at the boat ramp every day. More people out fishing. So there is going to be pressure on the stocks that we have. But don't be upset if you don't get your target species. There's always something else out there to catch. And it's a matter of just changing your, your direction or, or your um, approach to what you want to catch on the day. PJ, I'm going to wrap it up there, mate, because I know you're coming back with me next week because I do want to talk about your plan A, plan B, plan C because if you go out there on your boat that you've got or even just off the bank, you don't need a boat, but if you go off the bank, wherever you are, you're going to wet a line and if it doesn't happen, you've got to have a plan B slash plan C up your sleeve to target another particular species or maybe change from a soft plastic to a hard body or to a boat. That I'd love to talk to you on our next edition 
of our Step Outside podcast next week. Hey, PJ, mate, thank you for your time, my friend. That's PJ, everybody. Peter Johnson there from his home in Sydney. And, of course, he is a past president of New South Wales Fishing Clubs Association. He holds a bunch of state AAA championships as well as numerous club and district championships to his name. And this guy, he is an ambassador to LV, Sydney Boat Shows. He's everywhere, Okay, So this guy, he is a true testament of an absolute complete angler. Hey, that's it for today's episode of Step Outside Podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, Love to talk to you guys all next week and of course, until then, stay safe, happy fishing. Au revoir.